everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here continuing with our Big Ten previews. Today's team is Rod's number seven team, the Fighting Illini from Illinois, also known as Guard U. Uh, thank you to all of you who support the show by one-time gifts through PayPal, Venmo, or on a recurring monthly basis on Patreon or Substack. You can head on over to www.thefinalfoursnotontheschedule.com slash support if you'd like to assuage your guilt for listening to the show and not supporting us. All right, so let's talk about the Fighting Illini. Last season, they were 20-13 and 13 overall and 11-9 and nine in the Big Ten, so same as Iowa we talked about last, uh, last show. They're number 35 in Ken Palm, and this is a team that's I know frustrating as a, I have a good friend who's an Iowa or an Illinois alum and they are a team that with lots of hype. I mean, they've, it's like the hype train starts in yeah. Champaign every season and they had a lot of it with all the transfers they're getting in all the, you know, talent and you know, there's so much talent that it's going to be spilling over into the stands. They didn't know what to do with it all. They had a lot of players in the, on the roster and, and boy, it just seemed like a dis, sort of a disjointed team. Uh, the freshmen, weren't able to really assimilate too well. Ty Rogers is coming back. And <laughs> I think the, the best comment is that all the guys brought in, you know, during this off season are good human beings, which wasn't the case last year. <laughs> so I think that kind of speaks to sort of their dysfunction last season in a team that, you know, at times would look really good. I mean, when the Michigan state went in to Champaign, although, you know, state had a chance to win, Illinois is really good and they beat them, but they just couldn't, it's just, I don't know. They just weren't, their flame out in the NCAA tournament was not a surprise, I guess is fair to say. Uh, when you look at the their Sky Clark, who was a freshman guard, that they were all about much ballyhooed. He came in and never ended up playing, really. I don't think, did he play? I don't yeah, think he, he did. did. He yeah. played early, and then they, benched, Non-conference, they okay. benched him, and he quit and transferred to Louisville. <laughs> Right, yeah. And he was a guy coming from Kentucky, right? He had originally committed uh, to Kentucky. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so they were uh, very good defensively, as they usually are. They were number 26 in Ken Palm, but only number 68 in offense, mainly because they just turned the ball over a ton. They were number 207 in uh, turnover percentage, and they were a poor three-point shooting team, which is also a, a change in the previous years. They are 30.8% yeah. three-point shooting. Very good of, offensively in the interior. They were third, number 19 in two percent shot or uh, yeah, two point percentage, number eight in block percentage, and number 17 against twos. But, you know, as shockingly for Guard U, they really had a lot of trouble in backcourt, back and they haven't gotten it solved. Yeah, it's it was easy to see coming last year. That- you called it, and most people were just going on crazy about it. Like, You're, I don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was all young guys at the point. And I, you know, with Clark, you know, part of the reason he decommitted from Kentucky, he had gotten hurt. And so it was unclear how healthy he was going to be. And I just didn't buy into it. And sure enough, guard play was what capped them. That was the that was the thing that put a ceiling on what Illinois could be all year long. And it goes to show you college basketball It may sound like a cliche, but it's true. It's a guards game. If you do not have Mm -hmm. adequate guard play, you are probably going to struggle. We've seen it at Michigan state. When we go back, you know, 
Oh yeah. Really not last season, but the two years prior to that guard play was a question mark and it didn't really get fully solved. And that put a cap on how good those teams could be. Same thing for Illinois. Then you add to that what, you know, Ty Rogers was alluding to in that quote you read, which were real chemistry issues. I mean, Illinois under Brad Underwood, even at the best of times, it never seems to me like he's able to develop a team that has chemistry with each other. That's close. Um, And they've had enough talent at times that it's gotten beyond or overcome some of the chemistry issues for a while, but they've yet to make a decent run in March under him. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like we just got done talking about Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. And mm-hmm. Illinois has more basketball tradition than Iowa. And I think they have their fan base has more reason to expect good things than Iowa does. But they spent a number of years in the wilderness, too. You know, they were very good for a long time. A lot of it with cheating. Then some of it with not Lon Kruger. And Bill Self got him back to that. And then I think Bruce Weber, Bruce Weber's where it started to go wrong. And he had a great start with some of Bill Self's guys taking them to a yeah. title game appearance. But after that, he never got back on the beam. And that took a long time to play out until he lost his job. And then John Gross came in and was never able to make it work. So then after him, you enter Brad Underwood. And on the one hand, you'd say, well, Brad Underwood has done a great job at restoring this program. You know, they've been to, what is it? I think it's uh, three straight NCAA tournaments, and I believe they would have made it that they were on on the path to making it um, during the year that it got wiped out by COVID, so it would be four. He won a Big Ten title. A regular yep. season and he won a big 10 tournament title so he's done some things but you talked about the endless hype that this fan base is so desperate to get back to where they believe they're right because they do believe that their rightful place is up there with michigan state and purdue and you know whoever else you want to throw in there um, at the mm-hmm. top of the conference and the reality is they haven't been that They've had intermittent periods where they were that, but not consistently. They haven't had, they haven't had anything close to a run like Indiana had during the night era or like Izzo has had during his era at Michigan state. They just haven't had that. And Brad Underwood thus far is an example of the bottom line in college basketball. If you look at his regular season track record, even last year, For a down year, you know, they were 11 and nine in the big 10. That's not terrible. They didn't fall off a cliff, but your success is defined by what you do in March above and beyond anything else. And Brad Underwood has had pratfall after pratfall in March. And until that changes, I don't think you're going to see Illinois fans getting the respect from the college basketball world at large, the way they think they're entitled to. Um, They had, again, what held them back last year, chemistry and guard play. The chemistry may be better this season. We'll see. 
I am very skeptical of the idea that the guard play will be better. And the fact that Brad Underwood was not able to go out and address the point guard position at all in the portal. I mean, there were a couple of guys that they felt like they were in line to get and then in the portal, and then they didn't get them. And he didn't have a plan B or a plan C. Um, they went on a foreign trip this summer. And the first game, if I remember the stats correctly, this was team 11 yeah. assists, 20 turnovers, and they shot something like four for 25 from three. That sounds a whole hell of a lot like last year. And if that <laughs> happens again, and I think there's a reasonable chance it will, no matter how good they are on the wing and how good they are in the paint on offense, and no matter how well they check, that will be a limiter on how good this team can be. And if you want to know why a team that has some real honest star material at other positions is ranked seventh in the Big Ten, that's why. And we'll get into it in more detail. But I think they've got a problem that I'm not sure they can solve on this roster. Right. Well, and I, I feel like my friend was telling me, too, that Illinois under Underwood has had the best Big Ten record of all the Big Ten teams. But... It's somewhat oh, feels over the bit, last over the last three or four years. Yeah, that might be true. So what? Yeah, but it's kind of like yeah, so right. What? It's like a Pyrrhic victory, right? It's, it's a, like yeah, campaign it or dominate the Big Ten, but you don't do do anything in March. Which yeah, it's not like it it's means not, something, but it's it, it's not like he's had, you know, oh, he's eight games better than anybody else over that period. No, it's it's by slight margins. Have they been one of yeah. the better teams in the regular season the last four years? Yes. Have they been dominant in any of those years? Have they have they ever had a season like Purdue had last season? No. Where they were just clear cut better than everybody else? No. So, uh, yeah, Brad, Brad Underwood, I've said this many times. Um, he's achieved some things, and he stabilized their program back at a, you expect them to be in the tournament level annually. Mm -hmm. But beyond yeah. that, this guy at every possible turn i feel my reaction to him when i watch what he says and what he does it's almost always wrong <laughs> almost always and you might say i'm foolish for thinking i know better than a guy who's coaching this program but i've called it out and it's and it's happened exactly what i think is going to happen happens guard you running on 2 years he can't get a guard can't find one to save his life um Last year, I think it was, or no, maybe it was the year prior. Um, he won the Big Ten tournament one year, had the Pratt fall in, I think it was the COVID year. He won the Big Ten tournament, um, had the Pratt fall against Loyola. And then the next year came out when they won the Big Ten regular season and actually said, basically, well, we're not going to really push to win the Big Ten tournament because. You know, we felt like that was a negative experience for us in terms of being ready for the real tournament. You <laughs> right, might yeah. you might believe that as a coach. You don't ever say that. You don't ever say it. And he did. And they pratfalled in the Big Ten tournament. And then they took another pratfall in the NCAA tournament. So it didn't do him any good. He just, this guy, it, it, unearned, unmerited braggadocio is what I think of with him. He may be a perfectly good guy. Um, off the court and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not attacking his character in that way, but his instincts 
for how you run a program that aspires to be big time or have been way off target to date, in my opinion. I mean, he's done enough to say, can he make Illinois good? Yes. Can he make Illinois great? There is absolutely zero indication so far that he can. None. And I would say there's a lot of things that have lined up on the side of he can't. Well, that's pretty strong words there. <laughs> so it's the truth. It's what I th- it's what I think. And and when you start piling up multiple years where these things happen, at some point you have to say, well, you know what? The the burden of proof is entirely on his side of the ledger right now. He has to prove it. You to give him any benefit of the doubt is insane. Given what he's done, because he said. By everyone's acknowledgement, he's had lots of quote unquote talent to work with. That has not been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So where are the results? This reminds me a lot of the problem I had with my, my roof that I just kind of ignored it and thought, well, it's fine. And then, man, I tell you what, good segue. There are problems everywhere. I thought it was okay. (laughs) And then I had, oh, actually I've got a leaky part of or that by my house. I've got a tree growing out of my gutter. I had all kinds of problems and I'm sure there are a number of people listening right now who have those same problems. You can ignore it, or you can take a look at it and address it right now and take care of it. And that's what I recommend you do. And if you're going to do that, make sure you reach out to the brothers to Just Two Gutters. They're the guys who are going to do fantastic work. They're very efficient, good pricing. They can repair, they can clean, they can replace your gutters, whatever you need. They've got plenty of uh, selection for different colors and different sizes. You know, you won't put leaf guards in so you don't have to clean out your gutters all the time. They'll take care of all that stuff. It's not very sexy, but it's super important to make sure that your house or your business has it taken care of because it causes other problems. If you don't address those things, you have other problems that manifest themselves later on, much like not having a guard. Speaking of which, let's talk about the players departing for Illinois. We'll begin with Matthew Meyer, 6'9", Baylor transfer. He was, I think, everything they expected him to be. Uh, he impacted the great game both in offensive and defensive end. He averaged 12.5 points a game and 5.3 points a game. Shot 41, 33, and 71. Uh, but I think he, the best thing that exemplified him is he had to miss, I think he missed a game, didn't he? Because he was in the hospital because he had been slamming Red Bulls and uh, and playing video games up to like three or four in the morning on the night before a game and was and had to go to the hospital. I think the ICU gets from dehydration. Yep. I mean, this yep. is a guy who... Well, I mean, I think his priorities were not exactly with the, the the Illini most of the time, and I think that showed. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird because this guy was a key component as a reserve of a national championship team. So you can't say, well, he has no idea how to win. He's been on a winner. But when I looked at him last year, not once did he come across as a guy who made me think that's a guy whose biggest priority is winning. It just never looked that way. And there seems to be no question that he was one of the guys Rogers was talking about. I, you know, I, I have a, a friend uh, who is very plugged into Texas. He lives in Texas. He's very plugged into Texas amateur basketball circles. And I did not realize this. And I, unless I missed it, I don't think it was something that was talked about very much on broadcast. But Matthew Meyer comes from a very privileged background. Um, he grew up with a lot of familial money and that's no sin. It's just that uh, this friend of mine was suggesting that it's been the knock on him since he was in high school, Mm -hmm. that this was a kid 
who had things come very easily in his life, didn't react well to adversity, wasn't kind of a bootstraps guy or a, a guy who was going to be an effective leader. And it kind of made sense watching him play. You know, you look at you look at the production, it was decent. 12 and a half points, 5.3 boards. They would have liked more consistent shooting from three. He was more of a heat check guy than a consistent threat, but not bad. Yeah. But that doesn't, the numbers, for, for as much as we talk about numbers, and they're hugely important, obviously, it's never the totality of the picture. Because if you watched Illinois at length last year, you had to conclude that Matthew Meyer, despite the production, was part of the problem. You had to. You could see it. It was very obvious to me. So I think he's a guy they don't necessarily miss very much this year because of that. I think they've got people who can do a lot of the same things production-wise, and I think they could probably do it with being less of a disruption. Yeah, he was definitely certainly a matchup problem, and he was definitely that game in Champaign. It's certain game, State, oh, right? I mean, against MSU. Yeah, that game in Champ the game in Champaign where Illinois came back, um, when Malik Hall went out of that game, MSU did not have a physical answer for Matthew Meyer and he killed him. Yeah, at times he was very effective. I mean, I would never question his talent. I would question other things. Well, that sort of sounds like you're epitomizing uh this the program in general, right? Plenty of talent. Yeah. The other thing, yeah, the, the uh hundred percent intangibles. Well, let's talk about that. Sky Clark. Six two, he's leaving the he's leaving the team. Well, he already left him. Heading to Louisville, as you mentioned before, averaged seven points a game on 41, 33, and seventy shooting, but had a lot of turnovers to his assists. Yeah, the the relationship just didn't work. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't ready to really be an efficient floor leader, and that's not that's not a huge knock on a true freshman. You know, you expect true freshmen at the point, except in very rare exceptions, to struggle some with that transition. But clearly, uh, there was not it was not a situation where he was eye to eye with his coach, because at the first sign of trouble, at the first moment that he was pulled from the starting lineup, he bailed. So, uh, from that perspective, look, Illinois didn't have him for most of last season, so it's barely even a loss at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even remember he's on the team. <laughs> Somebody really right. reading about the summer again. Next would be Jaden Epps, 6'2 sophomore. He ended up taking a lot of the minutes from Clark once he left. He started 11 games, averaged 9.5 points a game on 41, 30, and 78 shooting. 46 assists to 40 turnovers, so actually pretty good <laughs> for Illinois. He ended up transferring to Georgetown. Yeah, and you know this is a funny one because at times I felt he showed promise last year, even though he wasn't a true point guard. Agreed. He'd be a much more natural fit than anybody they got on this year's team. I'll say that, which is damning with faint praise, but it's true. <laughs> um, but paying attention to Illinois people, there was a feeling that Epps was something of a chemistry problem as well. So it might be better off for everybody that he moved on. I don't know a lot of the details with that. I just know that that seemed to be the feeling with him as opposed to people being really, really upset at his leaving. Next departure is seven foot junior Brandon Lieb. He didn't really uh, end up playing as much and develop into the stretch five they'd hoped. He played 16 games, but didn't not a whole lot. Less than a point a game and barely a rebound a game, transferring to Illinois State, which again, to our point, we've talked about a lot of these other players with the transfer destinations. Kind of explains where he was as far as a. Exactly. Player. Exactly. Just, you know, 
look, every and I've said this about Carson Cooper to bring it back to Michigan State for a second. It's really funny to me that car and, and inexplicable that Carson Cooper did not have any high major offers before Michigan State came in for him. I'm thankful that was the case. But the, this is Lieb is a classic example, and I could probably tick off 10 guys this year in the conference who left in the portal, at least, maybe more, who are examples of what I'm talking about. Even at the Big Ten level, you will see teams every year take flyers on underdeveloped big men, projects, mm, as they yeah. call them. And the majority of them are not going to pan out. Leaves an example of that. But that is what is amazing to me, that Carson Cooper got into the summer after his senior year without an offer, given his physical tools, which are superior to most of the guys in this category. Lieb would just be, I don't mean to bag on him in particular. There are a ton of guys like him every year on Big Ted rosters. But it's just stunning to me, and I'm no closer to understanding it today, (laughs) how somebody like Carson Cooper, who had that size and the ability to move, that athleticism, how he was not one of those guys up until a very, very late point in the process. Somebody like Brandon Lieb didn't have to wait till the summer after his senior year to get a scholarship offer. Carson well, Cooper you, did, and that's crazy. But I'm you know, glad. <laughs> I think in some respects, we are a herd animal, right? And and I think, you know, once people start pursuing someone, then everyone yep. starts taking notice. And I think we just happened to be yeah. the first one to look at him and notice him. And then he was gone before anybody had a chance to really say, oh, well, they must be pretty good, right? So, all right, final departure, RJ Melendez, 6'7 guard, looked really good as a freshman. He averaged... Six points a game this season and shot poorly, 38, 26, and 83 after his freshman year shooting 57, 16, 85. More turnovers and assists. Uh, he just yeah, just didn't work out this season, so he ended up transferring to Georgia. Yeah, and so he would be an example of a guy, unlike Lee, where he's transferred to an SEC school. There are still people out there that believe he has promised to be an effective high major player, and and I would fall in that category too. But the reality is, in a limited role as a freshman, he lit it up and right. actually showed some potential to maybe be something of an on-ball answer, not just a shooter from the wing. With a bigger role last year, he just fell on his face. All his numbers were way down and you know more turnovers than assists. That's not a good starting place for a guard. Um, it just didn't happen. He's one, as opposed to some of these other guys, that I would think they probably would rather have stayed because I do think he has legitimate potential to develop into a better player, but obviously that didn't happen. He's going to be at Georgia. Uh, That's the way it is. So let's talk about the returning players and Illinois this season actually has returning players and quite a few of them. Uh, We'll begin with Terrence Shannon. That was a big returning player to come back. Six foot seven. Huge. Uh, He was the guy from Texas tech the previous year, averaged 17 point, two points a game on 44, 32 and 79 pulled down 4.6 rebounds a game, mostly played at the three. And, you know, he was really good. I mean, he's can play going downhill towards the, the rim and also can shoot outside a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a huge, huge decision for him to come out of the draft and uh, return to Illinois. Look, he's got weaknesses. Um, the jump shooting is he's another heat check guy, 32% from three. 
he's he was not a player that you would say was any kind of dead eye shooter. At best, he was streakily effective. But if he can make even moderate improvement there, I think he and even maybe if he doesn't, he still might be good enough to be a first team all league guy because he's so strong. You know, he came from a football background and he plays like it. He's a guy who could take the ball off the dribble. He is not afraid to seek contact out and he could finish through it. He draws a ton of fouls with that activity level, athleticism and motor. Um, he's a good defensive player and an explosive guy on offense. He's, he's the best they've got. Um, it would be frightening to see how good he could be if he had a competent point guard, but he doesn't. So <laughs> we get, it still might be good enough for him to be first team all league. Next returning player is six eleven point guard. Coleman Hawkins is senior. Yeah. He, <laughs> he yeah. pulled out of the NBA. That's not well, an he, exaggeration. No, really. I mean, he did actually play point a little bit, which I guess shows you the extent of the woes <laughs> for a point guard situation in, in Illinois. He pulled out of the NBA draft, so that was also a real positive for the Illini. Uh, he's a, a fantastic four-man. He's handles the ball pretty well, which, I mean, he can actually can sort of play point. Averaged a little under 10 points a game on 6.3 rebounds a game. Blocked about a shot a game, shot 44, 28, and 61. Although I think if you asked him, he probably thought he shot 58% from three, uh, the way he takes them. Uh, led the team in assists with 100, with uh, also 81 turnovers. So he's a guy who I think they're just games he's on and games he's not. It's kind of how I felt yep. it. Or at least a half he's on and half he's not. That's it. You know, you look at his combination of size and skill set and you say, wow, a 6'11 guy who can handle and pass the way he can who looks like he can stretch the floor and yet who also has the size and strength to be effective around the rim. That's a guy who can be an all conference guy or an NBA player, right? The problem is he disappears. He'll have an eight minute stretch where he's doing everything. And then you won't see him for the next 12. He just disappears. Um, the shooting look for three years running, they've talked about him as a stretch big. He's never been able to get up over 30% from three. So that's a problem that if that's, if that's how you're shooting it, you probably should shoot it less. Um, <laughs> as a playmaker for a big man, he's outstanding. And I think they're going to have no choice, but to run a lot of offense through him out of the high post, which is okay, but it's not exactly ideal. Uh, he's a very useful player. He will be a starter he will be effective for them. Uh, but again, if he actually played with a real point guard, it would be something to see. The next player is 6'9", 270 pound junior, Dane Danger. Great name. He averaged 9.5 points a game and five and a half rebounds a game, along with a block a game, shot 64% from the floor, a paltry 53% from the line, and a guy who is very much a post player and has some definite skills to bring to the table, but limited in other ways too. He reminds me uh, of more than anybody else in recent Big Ted history. He reminds me of Nick Ward. Yeah, I was thinking the same. Yeah. A lot of the same elements. He's really good on the blocks. Uh, he hasn't yet put up a season with the numbers that Nick did. Uh, but then again, last year was his first year of playing, so he's got plenty of time. Um, I mean, 64% from the floor. He's really effective on the blocks. Um, but defensively, it's again, it's similar to Nick, like body to body. If he's guarding somebody in the post, he's okay. 
But if you put him and extend him out on the floor and pick and roll, it falls apart. Um, he also really struggles moving the ball. 50 turnovers to just 17 assists. Um, so I think he'll start at the five, and I think he should. And he'll do certain things very, very well for, for them. But can he improve in those areas of serious weakness? That remains to be seen. Um, if he can show some improvement there, then the ceiling on this team edges a little bit higher, I think. But that's unclear. I, I think I think the defensive stuff, it's hard because I don't know that I believe that he will get much more mobile. And that's a big part of the problem. Maybe maybe he can do more film work and and use that to shortcut some stuff. That's possible. Um, but I will need to see it to believe that. The free throw shooting is also a weakness. 53% at the line for a guy who's going to draw a lot of contact is yeah, not that's ideal. A problem. Yeah, that's a problem for sure. Uh, fourth returning player, Ty Rogers, 6'6", native of Saginaw, relative Jason Richardson. Part of the reason why lots of Michigan State fans who follow recruiting are convinced that Jason Richardson will not come, as is another Jason Richardson relative who did not end up at Michigan State. Uh, he played in 33 games, averaged 17 and a half minutes a game, uh, and was a good player. I, you know, he's not a world beater. He averaged four rebounds a game and 3.3 points a game on 52% shooting from the field and 39% from the line, which is, you know, truly atrocious. Ty Rogers should be at Michigan State. And I, and I don't I don't say that because of my bias. I say that because he's a Michigan kid who, in terms of who he is as a basketball player, it, it could not be more tailor-made than to play for Tom Izzo. Um, what he is, is an extremely versatile defender. He can legitimately guard one through four. And I think he's good enough that in time he can be an all Big Ten level defender. He is a very good rebounder. He averaged four rebounds a game, but if you do it on a per minute basis, he was third on the team. I'm sorry. He was third on the team despite only being eighth in minutes. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. So, um, and he's an effort guy. Mm -hmm. All things that check in really well at, at a program like Michigan State. He cannot, he cannot shoot, and he's never been able to shoot. So, the 0 for 1 on the season from three, the 39% from the line, not a shocker. Not a shocker at all. It's just not who he's ever been. Um, he can finish around the rim, but when you can't hit a jumper, you're under a lot of pressure to get there. Um, now, here's the real kicker and why I say he should have gone to Michigan State. At Michigan State, Tom Izzo would have used him as a three and, an, and a four, and his role would have been very similar to what someone like Brandon Dawson's was at Michigan State. Now, he doesn't have the quite the athletic horsepower that BJ had, but it would have been similar that he wouldn't have asked him to shoot. He would have asked him to defend hellaciously and to attack the glass. And, and that would have been productive. He would have been able to do that as he started Illinois, and he would have fit a role that made sense. At Illinois, the way things have gone, he is likely, as it stands, from what I understand, to be the starting point guard for Illinois this year. Now, he did have 32 assists to 27 turnovers last season. So that probably checks him in near the top of Illinois in that category of their whole team. 
which is damning with faint praise. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Ty Rogers over his career. I saw him in AAU. I saw him in high school. I don't believe I ever saw him play point guard. I don't even think I ever saw him as a two. Never mind a one. So to put him at the point for a Big Ten team really, really seems to me to be playing around with the kid's future. And I understand that Brad Underwood may feel he doesn't have any better answers, but that's on him for not recruiting better answers. I, I feel for Ty Rogers because I think he's a guy who is capable of being a very good role player who is going to be thrust into something that he is not built to do particularly well. And I think he's going to suffer for it. But, you know, the choice was made by him or more to the point, those around him. And they're going to deal with the repercussions this year. Hey, he could make me, he could, he could make me, uh, uh, rue my words here and actually be effective, but I just don't see it. And that fact that he's considered the best option they've got tells you all you should need to know about where the limitations are for this team, despite having a Terrence Shannon, despite having a Colvin Hawkins, a Dane Danger. It's not going to matter that much if you don't have a guy that can run your team, and I don't think they do. Other years you might say, well, you know, if this doesn't work out for Ty Rogers, he, maybe he transferred to Michigan State because you've seen the history of that Joey Hauser, someone who's heavily recruited by Ty yeah. Rogers, ended up at Michigan State. But they moved, they would, moved on. But I was going to say, they and on. They move on, but also there's just no, I don't see where he even, they wouldn't even have a spot for him at this point. That's what I'm saying. Worth, yeah, That's right. what I'm I mean, saying. What the, so what they did is they, they went out and in this current class, I mean, a guy like Cohen Carr is a turbo Ty Rogers. <laughs> he's Ty Rogers with ultra athleticism, much more like a, he's a more athletic version of BJ Dawson. Which, yeah. to bring that comparison up, which, you know, is hard to even fathom, but I think it's true. Um, so Michigan State moved on, but he might have to find somewhere else. I don't know. And and look, for all I know, the kid and his people, quote unquote, could be thrilled by this. I just oh, think yeah. they're going to end up regretting it Yeah, because I just don't see it. Well, moving on to 6'4", sophomore Sincere Harris, averaging 3.7 points a game on 43, 32, and 20 shooting last season. 20% from the line. Woof. Uh, and played about 14 minutes a game. I think he's got potential. You know, good size. They like him defensively, but, you know, what ultimately is going to decide how good he'll be is if he can make improvements offensively. As you say, that 32 from 3, 20 at the line is a whole lot of not good. That's got to get better. Yeah, 20% from the line. Well, that is way worse than me. Now, uh, <laughs> oof, hard to imagine. Uh, next is Luke Goody. 6'7", missed 23 games last year due to injury. Came back and was okay. He averaged four points a game at 48, 42, and 100 in obviously limited volume. Uh, very good deep shooter. And so, you know, if I, I know that the hope with him is to get him healthy and that he can actually be a good threat out for, outside for them. That's really it. I mean, if he's healthy, he's got a role on this team. Maybe as a starter, maybe as a reserve, but um, he's proven in his first two years when he's played, he can shoot. And he's actually pretty good defensive. If you remember, he was really good against Michigan State as a freshman. Um, he had some moments. Uh, and Michigan State recruited him very hard, so I think he was probably fired up to play that game. But um, 
he's a guy I like, and I think could be a good two-way player for them. He's just got to stay healthy. Yeah. And finally, a foreign player, Nicolo Moretti, 6'1 point guard, obviously from Italy. Joined the team last season, uh, didn't play. So uh, I guess, you know, there's your point guard maybe, but the fact that he hasn't even been named point I don't guard, think I think so. tells you all you need to know. <laughs> you need to I know don't about think him. so. Everything I've I've heard and read suggests that, that they feel like this was a reach that is not panning out. You're right. In theory, if he were good enough, well, there's no better situation than this one where there's a screaming need for a guy at his position, and yet he's not been able to claim it. It probably suggests that after this year, maybe a transfer is in is in the offing. But we'll see. He's never going to have a better chance than this. Yeah, I mean, he certainly have an opportunity to get minutes, I suppose, with this team. So newcomers to the team. We'll start with the the big transfer, Marcus Damask, six six uh, player from Southern Illinois. So he's a good shooter outside. A good player of Missouri Valley. He averaged 16.7 points a game on 45, 35, and 88 shooting. Grabbed 5.8 rebounds a game and was a very skilled player. And I think he's a guy who, I mean, again, he's not a guard, but but he's certainly going to be a guy who's going to add a lot to their team offensively. Well, the, th- the thing that they, they like about him is they felt that last year, despite the talent of some of the guys they had, that they didn't always play in ways that maximized Illinois' offensive efficiency. So there was a lot of standing around and and waiting for shot opportunities as opposed to consistent movement, cutting to the basket to create opportunities for yourself and for teammates to find you. Those are things that Domask, people are very high on him uh, based on the way he played at Southern Illinois. So, uh, look, I, I would expect he's in line, if not to start, to play a big role off the bench and to improve their depth on the wing. So another good wing piece and a contender for a starting role for sure. I think, I think you're looking at, you're looking at he and, and Goody would be my guess as the primary contenders for that role, the starting spot at the two. Another transfer is Justin Harmon, 6'4", from Utah Valley. He averaged 14 points a game on 45, 34, and 73 shooting and grabbed a little under four rebounds a game. Good ball handler and a good athlete. Yeah, more of a, you know, a, a smaller size Terrence Shannon. Not as good, but uh, plays similarly. Not a great shooter, but athletic enough with a good enough handle that he can get to the rim create contact, create opportunities for himself to score. Um, he's a Chicagoland native who came back to his home state after starting at, at Utah Valley. Uh, I would expect he's going to be in the rotation somewhere. Next is a transfer from Oregon, Quincy Garrier, 6'7", 220-pound grad transfer. Uh, on his third school, he start, began at Syracuse. He averaged nine points a game and 4.6 rebounds a game on 42, 35, and 58 shooting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a good addition in the sense that this is an experienced guy who's played reasonably well in two high major conferences, and at the very least, he he increases your depth if you're Illinois. And I think he's in line to play minutes at four, but it's crowded. You know, yeah. uh, you would think that Hawkins and Danger are both going to start, which means – there's not a start, and Shannon's going to be the starting three, so there's not a starting role 
for a guy who's been a starter elsewhere at the high major level. And there's even competition for reserve minutes. So (laughs) I'm not quite sure why he did it, but I think he's going to play and I think he's going to clearly help them. It's, it's nice to have a guy with his level of experience and production in your rotation. Um, You know, he's a decent shooter, 35% from three, more than half his attempts come from outside the arc. So, um, you know, they're going to hope he's a guy who can help improve that dismal three point shooting. Illinois, but I think he's going to play. I just don't know how much. So interestingly, you're know, only two high school recruits on this team. The first is Imani Hansberry, 6'7", 215 pound forward. <laughs> Projects to the four or maybe even small five, which again, yep. as you mentioned, is already clogged up. Top 100 recruit. So he's obviously got some talent, but you know, how do you find a way to get in there on the, on the floor? Yeah, it's, you know, it's complicated. Like, even if you say, well, Hawkins will start at the four, but he'll also play a lot of five. Okay, I can buy that. But then who's playing the four? Well, Gary Ayer is a a potential there. You might want to play Terrence Shannon there some minutes. I would have said Ty Rogers would have been a contender for that, except he's going to be your point guard. Um, And then there's Hansberry, who a lot of people like. The, The thing about Hansberry is the word on him and what might be a limiter is that he struggles as a defender. So that's the thing. When you look at Illinois, you say, okay, Dane Danger struggles defensively. So we got to have a counter behind him. Ideally, it would be Hansberry, but from what I hear, he might even be worse defensively. So that means you're probably sliding Coleman Hawkins over there a lot um, to back up Danger. I don't know where Hansberry is a guy that they're. Their fan base and their coaching staff seems to be very high on, but finding the role to a lot of minutes with their roster is and what his game is right now is a little difficult for me. I think he'll play again, as with Garrier. I don't know if that means, well, 10 minutes a game or 18 minutes a game. I just don't know yet. Oh. And finally, for newcomers is Dragibs Lawhorn. He's a 6 1 combo guard. Originally was going to Purdue, ended up going to Illinois. Also a top 100 recruit. Yeah, and, you know, on paper, he said, oh, 6'1 guard. Great. There's another point guard, but that's not his game. <laughs> he's a, he's primarily considered a scorer. Now, I think he might have to play some point on this team because I don't see a lot of other options. But, um, I, I look, I, I don't think he's a guy. His, his track record does does not suggest immediate impact player. Okay. Um, I think he's going to have to play some role, but my guess is it's going to be somewhat limited. Uh, you know, the, the caveat to that is I, there aren't a lot of other options, so it might get to the point that he's playing 15 minutes a night just because somebody has to. One place you have lots of options is nudge printing. If you need great shirts or hoodies, all kinds of different apparel. You can find it at Nudge Printing for your Michigan State or even non-Michigan State needs. You can get stuff for your tailgating. It's a good time. It's hoodie season pretty much by now, late September. Uh, so you can head on over to nudgeprinting.com. There you can find all the different styles that you'd want. Uh, super wearable, very comfortable, light, and I I love them, and my whole family loves all our Nudge Printing stuff, so you can't go wrong. Free shipping. Go to nudgeprinting.com to find whatever you want. Uh, you can get 20% off if you enter in Final Four into the coupon code at checkout. Again, nudgeprinting.com. 
All right. So we just look at the Illinois team overall. I mean, I think the biggest question, as you point out, is this the problem of the, the guard situation. And I guess the real question is if Ty Rogers doesn't work out, I mean, is this a point guard by committee? Uh, what happens if it doesn't pan out? Because you could have a who, serious who's problem. on the who's on the committee. Well, I mean, you've got like there's nobody. Lawhorn's got a guy. A com- well, a guy who's a combo guard. You seem well. He's a guy who could has can handle the ball. I'm. I just yeah. Coleman Hawkins. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what happens. Coleman Hawkins is six eleven. I, I know. Just, yeah, it's ridiculous. That's the thing. Who's on the committee? Is my response <laughs> to that? Sincere Harris. He's not a guard. They just. Look, I think here's the bottom line. Realistically, they are not going to ask Ty Rogers or anybody, any of those other guys to go out and really be a point guard in the way we conventionally think. Right. They're going to ask those guys to bring the ball up and get them into the offense, and then it's going to flow from there. And the reality is that Hawkins and Shannon are your two best playmakers. So they're going to run offense through those guys a lot. And it's not as if you can't succeed doing that. I mean, you think back... Michigan State 2012, yes, they had Keith Appling and Travis Trice, but the guy who was really the initiator of offense on that team was Draymond Green at right. the power forward. So it's not totally unheard of, but I would suggest to you that neither Terrence Shannon, Shannon nor Coleman Hawkins are Draymond Green. So <laughs> that's not ideal, to say the least. Plus, it also puts more on those guys, particularly with Shannon. If I've got Terrence Shannon on my team, I primarily want him thinking about scoring because that's what I believe he does best on offense. He is a born scorer. He's a guy you want attacking for himself to get scoring opportunities. You don't want him worrying about making plays for other people a lot. You know, that to mm-hmm. me, that's that's likely to be a distraction for him and perhaps to make him less effective than he would be otherwise at what he does really, really well. They don't have much of a choice, so that's how it's got to be. And to me, despite all the obvious talent on this team, and they once again, they have a lot of it, I look at the roster fit, and I just think it's a mess. And that was how it was last year. And the, it's it is an indictment of Brad Underwood as a guy trying to get his team to a, an elite level, not to a good level. He's done enough to say, well, yeah, I expect as I've got them seventh in the league. Well, that equates to, I expect them to be a tournament team. And I do, because I think they'll be good again defensively. I don't think that's going to change. Um, but that offense, man, you got to have somebody step up who proves they can hit a jumper. And you got to have somebody capable of at least halfway decently running this offense. And I think those are serious questions for this team. And I don't know that I believe that they've even got, this is the sad part. Sometimes you look at a team and say, well, yeah, there are question marks, but at least there's a potential answer if things break the right way. I don't even know if I believe there are potential answers for those questions. Definitely not at the point, maybe as a shooting team, there are, but a lot of things have got to go right for that to happen. So I just, I look at Illinois and I think it's more of the same. I think it's it, on paper to me, it looks like a very similar team to what they had a year ago. The one advantage you can give them is 
they I you would think their chemistry will be better and that might be worth a little something at the margins you know that will help some but I just don't see I don't see much you know it's it's funny because a couple of the teams that we're going to talk about that I've got a notch or two ahead of them in the standings um really don't have a team like Wisconsin for example Wisconsin has no one on their roster that's as good a player as Terrence Shannon. And they might not have anyone who's as good as Coleman Hawkins. But I've got Wisconsin ahead of Illinois. Why? Because their roster fits together much, much better. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and then then again, the other thing, too, as we, as we started to talk about here, there's a lot of talent and the potential for a lot of depth at certain positions but that might be a problem because I'm not, you know, if, for example, if, if, uh, Hansberry was a guy who was capable of playing guard, that would be a lot better. Someone at his talent level, but playing guard as a freshman, I would look at it and say, yeah, there's absolutely a role available given the positions he plays the four and the five. It's tough because they've got a lot of guys. So, even the talent doesn't necessarily fit really naturally. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't, I'm not struck by the fact that Brad Underwood is a fool. Like he knows where his deficiencies are at the guard position and they've been, they were scouring everywhere for a guard. I guess the bigger question is, you know, you got Chicago in your backyard and, and by all indications, Illinois is able to recruit at Chicago. Okay. You, you would think you'd be able to, to find some pieces, but again, well, this is a team that is you know, mostly transfers uh, you know, I don't think that you can't win a transfers, but it it seems like you're you had a full roster turnover the year before, with and now you're kind of we have talked before about culture and you how you can maintain that with new players and you only got two new guys coming in. I I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know if he's in the, just a, a not a death spiral, but some sort of like transfer spiral where you just can't get out of it and uh, start you know start building your own foundation of your own players. Well, well, this is something we've talked about. You know. Um, Part of the problem with going portal heavy is how do you get out of it, right? So someone like Ben Johnson at Minnesota, everybody thinks now is in big trouble, and he might be. It might not work for him, but I give him credit on this level. I think he realized, you know, he had, for relative to expectations, he had a successful first year with transfers. But he said, well, this is not how I'm going to build this thing as, as a sustainable program. And so he went out and he got a lot of high school guys the next year and he played them and he took his lumps. But I, I would guess if you talk to him, part of what he would tell you is, yeah, but there's really no other choice because if I'm in the portal every year, it, the, the, the odds are I'm going to crap out. Sure. At some point. And it's a lot of pressure to just continually have that churn, that turnover on an annual basis. Um, I do feel that Brad Underwood is in somewhat of that kind of position where he's having, and you look at it, I mean, he had what? Uh, three of his own guys last year. Let me look at who left just to make sure I've got it right. So. Meyer was out of eligibility. Clark was a recruit. 
Epps was a recruit. Lee was a recruit. Melendez was a recruit. So four guys that he recruited out of high school left after last season. He doesn't have a lot of them. You know, Shannon was a transfer. Yeah. Danger is a transfer. Um, Hawkins is a guy he recruited. Rogers, Harris, Goody, Moretti. So he's got a few guys. And then you look at the newcomers, Damask transfer, Harmon transfer, Garrier transfer, Hansberry and Gibbs, Lawhorn high school guys. So it is, it's an annual churn. I think this year he got burned. There was a kid named RJ Dennis or Ray J Dennis, who was a point guard. Um, I believe from Utah, but he was an Illinois kid that they seemed very confident they were going to land. And he ended up going to Baylor. And I think that's what happened. I think they had a lot of confidence in a plan a, they didn't get him, And then they didn't have an acceptable plan B. They had the Williams kid who transferred from Iowa state who did a quick pit stop of maybe a couple weeks in Champaign. And then he bugged out for Rutgers and it turns out he's probably not going to be eligible anyway, because of the gambling stuff. So that wasn't an answer, but it, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that you could be in this position two years running last year. Give him an excuse because he had a couple high school guys. He thought we're going to be good. And we're going to be the answer that weren't okay. That happens. But two years running, you're in that position at that point, it becomes about you. Yeah. Well, in some ways it's kind of a little bit like renting and buying, buying, right? Like, you know, if you buy a house, you got a place to live, even if you may not be the perfect place, but if you're always renting every year and have to get a new place, you may find a situation where you find a place that's way out of town, you know, is not exactly what you need. <laughs> and I think that's, they've sort of run into that problem where the market does yeah. not have what they need. And that's, and now you, there's and no options. Look, there's, 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 there is clearly we are in an era where this is how the game is going to be played, at least uh, unless and until there are changes made to the way the portal operates. Because mm-hmm. there's just no reason for it not to. With guys right. having an easy out, it's an instant eligibility. It, it's just too easy for it to happen. And so Underwood has, for better or for worse, he has chosen to embrace that. But I think you're seeing the limitations of that approach when you don't have the answers via the portal and you're not developing your own guys, particularly at a we I think you may have even mentioned it when we were talking about Michigan, who's had much the same problem and may finally be getting past it with Doug McDaniels returning for a second season at the point. Right. At that position, more than any other, you really want a guy that you can grow with over multiple years. You know, we've seen it time and time again at Michigan State. Guys, even highly regarded guys, struggle at times early, but they figure it out over time. And then when you've got them as an upperclassman, it's a different story. That's when you can think about contending for Final Fours and Big Ten championships and national championships and all the rest. You know, it's when you get to that point. And it's a hard position to try to get by on an annual basis just churning through the portal, I think. And, and then when you get in a situation like Illinois where you don't even manage to land one, it's even worse. Thomas Kelly, when he's talking about it, just from a cohesion standpoint, if it is hard getting that team playing together. I know Mike DeCourcy sort of poo-pooed it when we talked to him that, you know, every team's different. But I think, you know, the fact that you've got players you don't know very well who you bring into your, you've got what, 
one Zoom meeting or two Zoom meetings, and then you've got to bring out the guy yep. to your team. It's uh, it's a risky proposition. You don't know who you're bringing in. Yeah, it's it, it is, and and look, that's not to say that teams can't win with portal point guards. We there's evidence that they can. I just think it's a lot harder, and I don't think it would be any preference of a coach. I think most coaches would rather have a guy they develop or that they like that they develop over multiple years, knowing that hey, by the time that guy is in year two, year three year four, then you're really working with something because they know at the inside and out everything you want to do at both ends. I mean, we, we, we've seen it so often at Michigan State, and you see it now. Part of the reason that we are talking about Michigan State's backcourt being perhaps the best in the country is not because all of those guys were NBA players from the moment they stepped on campus. It's because all three of the starters have been there multiple years and we have seen them go through the trials and tribulations and get better and better as time goes on to the point that now that they're, you know, a senior, a super senior and a junior expectations are through the roof in part because they've seen it all. If you don't get to the point that you've seen it all, unless you're one of those rare guys that needs a year audition in college before you go to the pros, uh, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, and again, this sounds very negative on Illinois. There are real positives with this team. I think they're really good defensively. I think they generally rebound pretty well. They're at, they're an athletic group and they've got some guys that are really dynamic offensively that can do some things off the dribble. So there are things to like, but, Man, their weaknesses are not where I want to be weak <laughs> in modern basketball or basketball at any time, really. If you don't have a point guard and you can't shoot jumpers, it's a hard road. Bottom I, I line. Think, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, just a reminder again that we have the beat Rod contest, although Rod guarantees that the standings will be 1 through 14, and he has them <laughs> perfect this year. Yeah. Uh, if you think you can do a better job. It's easy stuff one- now. And and you want to enter a contest, you win free nudge gear. So you can win gift cards to nudge printing. Go to, uh, well, go to 1 through 14 for the Big Ten standings. We use a Big Ten standings in, for the Big Ten tournament because that seeding, just because it makes it simpler. How many points Michigan State scores against Michigan this season? They played twice. So that is a tiebreaker. Send it to me at Eric, E-R-I-C, at T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S dot com. Again, 1 through 14. The entries have to be in before the first Big Ten game is played, which is, I haven't looked, but sometime in December. So make sure you get those in. So you can wait till you hear what Rod's are. So you can just copy his because he's not in the contest. You're up, you're up against everybody else. And so um, last year, I think people were, were uh, helped and aided in their picks by waiting until they saw Purdue play. And they said, oh, I think they're pretty good. So they had a, they had a little leg up. So you can wait a little bit if you want, but make sure you get those in before the season starts. But until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.